This is a podcast from Queen's University Belfast, shaping a better world since 1845. Pandemic, of or pertaining to a disease prevalent over a whole country or the world. In this series of podcasts, historians at Queen's University Belfast look back on some famous pandemics. Part 2. The Great Pestilence The Black Death was the most fatal pandemic in human history, resulting in the deaths of between 75 and 200 million people. James Davis is a senior lecturer at Queen's University's Centre for Economic History. In 1349, Petrarch, an Italian commentator, wrote that the human race is almost wiped out. John of Reddin, a monk of Westminster, stated, In the end, the plague devoured a multitude of people who left behind them all their worldly riches. Scarcely a tenth of the population survived. The Black Death was a cataclysmic episode in the eyes of these medieval chroniclers. To some, it was the last days, the apocalypse that would lead to the end of the world, part of the four horsemen of famine, war, pestilence and death. Although the mortality rate of the Black Death was intense, almost unimaginable, it helps us understand how society reacts to a pandemic. The impact upon government, on society and on the economy. For some, the Black Death was a great agent for long-term change in behaviour. Others see its impact on the economy, the structures of society and even religious belief. In an uncanny parallel to coronavirus, the origin of the Black Death was Central Asia, probably Mongolia, where it emerged in the 1330s. There was apparently a coincidence between natural disasters in the east, such as earthquakes and flood, with the origins of the plague. More recently, research has highlighted how climate change, with a fall in temperature and increased rainfall, occurred at this time across the globe. Some have said that those natural upheavals may have led infected Marturian marmots, large rodents, to come into closer contact with people. This enabled the transition of the plague from animals to humans. The epidemic thus became endemic and then a pandemic. From the Mongol Khanate it spread into China, Russia and India before reaching Europe by 1347. Apocryphal tales emerged, a type of medieval misinformation about how it spread. Gabriel de Musis wrote of how the Mongols, or Tartars, besieged the Italian merchants of the Black Sea port of Kaffa by lobbing plague-infected bodies into the town. Although the medieval world could never be considered globalised in a modern sense, it was nevertheless connected by important trade routes and by pilgrims and soldiers. It was along these trading routes by land and sea that the Black Death spread. Just like coronavirus, its first port of call in Europe was northern Italy, at the time one of the main European commercial centres of the Mediterranean. As early Benedicto noted, these great commercial cities functioned as bridgeheads from where the disease conquered Europe. It then continued to spread in all directions by what are known as metatastic leaps, as it jumped from major port to port along shipping routes, first to Spain and southern France, where even the papal city of Avignon was struck intensely, 
and then to England by early summer 1348 through ports like Bristol and Southampton. Tradition places the first case in May in the southern Dorset town of Melcombe Regis, now part of Weymouth. London was affected by August, and the plague then continued its spread into Western Ireland and Scandinavia by late 1348 and Eastern Europe in 1349-50. to Some have argued that parts of Bohemia and Poland escaped its clutches, but they did not escape later, and by 1353 Moscow was the last great European city to feel the plague's effects. Perhaps only Finland and Iceland really avoided the Black Death. One community in France apparently rejoiced and parted when they escaped the plague, even though all their neighbouring villages had been affected. The chronicler of Saint-Denis struck a suitably moral tone in stating that they were promptly struck down by a violent hailstorm. What we see is that news spread faster than the plague, and people were well aware that it was coming, arousing fear and recourse to religious succour. In England, the plague spread inexorably over the following two years. How many died? We don't have any accurate census from the period, and deaths would have varied from place to place. But painstaking research into religious and manorial records suggests that the number of deaths in England alone was somewhere between 2 and 3 million, up to 50% of the population. The term Black Death was actually coined well after the event, seemingly a mistranslation of the Latin mors atra, terrible death. Contemporaries spoke of it merely as the pestilence. They were fairly consistent about its symptoms. Gabriel de Musis described how you'd first feel cold and have a prickling sensation, like pins and needles, as if they were being pricked by the points of arrows. Then came tiredness and depression. Painful swellings, buboes, in the groin or armpit or neck, which could vary from the size of a lentil to the size of an apple. Next, blisters or discoloration of the skin, high fever and headaches, and finally, unconsciousness. Some did recover, but the majority died. There also appeared to be a more lethal form that attacked the lungs, causing coughing of blood and sputum. Louis Haligan, while in the papal court, wrote, This form is the most dangerous of all these terrible things, which is to say that it is the most contagious, for when one infected person dies, everyone who saw him during this illness, visited him, had any dealings with him, or carried him to burial, immediately follows him without any remedy. Until fairly recently, historical opinion was long divided over the plague's precise nature. There was an apparent mismatch between the lethality and rapid dissemination of the Black Death and the suggestion it was bubonic plague, which appeared to match the symptoms. Historians asked, how could the traditional villain of the plague, the Black Rat, Ratus Ratus, and its fleas, have caused such devastation when more modern observations of bubonic plague in the 19th and 20th centuries showed that it worked in a slow and localised fashion. It also didn't seem to spread in winter. This remains the case with pockets of plague that still exist in the modern world. In general, these modern investigations show that plague was a rodent disease and these animals could develop extreme levels of sepsis, an infected bloodstream. Fleas bite these rodents. They take the infected blood into their stomachs where the Yersinia pestis proliferates rapidly. When their stomach is full of these organisms, the flea tries to feed. 
However, a blocked flea is forced to regurgitate both blood and bacteria into the bite wound, and hence potentially into the bloodstream of human. As in medieval observations, bubonic plague manifests itself in swellings or buboes on the lymph glands, under the armpit, in the groin and in the neck. Because the bacilli was carried by the body's lymphatic system to these lymph nodes, part of our immune system. You would also see blistering around the original bite, and more widely, subcutaneous bleeding below the skin. The spleen, lungs and even brain would be infected by bacilli. You would get a fever, headaches, hemorrhaging and neurological disorders. Humans can incubate the disease to three to five days, then after falling ill, usually die three to five days later. Before modern antibiotics, death was expected in 70 to 80% of cases within a week. Given that plague was mostly spread by black rats and rat fleas, the chain of transmission wasn't seen as rapid enough to cause the high death that we see in medieval Europe. However, recent scientific investigations and DNA tests on dental pulp from skeletons found in plague graveyards, including in London, have definitively pinpointed the plague bacillus, known as Yersinia pestis, after the early 20th century bacteriologist who examined it. Now it's argued that the Black Death consisted of forms of both bubonic and the more virulent pneumonic plague. In the pneumonic form, transfer was more rapid because the bacilli were airborne, spread human to human by coughing, attacking the lungs first. It also explains the continuance of the disease throughout winter and spring, when rats are usually more dormant. Now the consensus of opinion seems to be that the Black Death was plague, but it was so virulent and so devastating, its precise nature and strain is still debated. Medieval medical knowledge, based largely on classical learning, unsurprisingly struggled to cope. The reputation of doctors suffered, but some still sought to understand it within the remits of their knowledge. Celebrated physicians like Guy de Chuliac even described it to the papal court. Most agreed it was the corruption of the air and bad smells that led to contagion. Some blamed the rotting dead bodies themselves and cited the fetid smells of plague sores. I went from house to house because of my poverty to cure sick folks, wrote John Jacobus during a later outbreak. I took with me bread or a sponge sopped in vinegar, holding it in my mouth and nose. All sour things stop the way of humours and suffer no venomous things to enter into a man's body. And so I escaped the pestilence, my fellows supposing I should not live. Poses of herbs or the burning of spices were recommended to ward off the disease, the idea being that aromatic vapours would create a barrier against bad air. Others suggested that people should avoid hot, strenuous activity, which might open the pores of the skin to bad vapours, such as bathing, exercise, sex, excessive drinking and eating. Giovanni Boccaccio, writing in Florence, suggested that many people were doing the exact opposite, enjoying themselves while there was still time. Other accounts blame variously the rubbish in the streets, the astrological alignments of the planets, and evil humours in the body. In medieval medical learning, these were phlegm, blood, black and yellow bile. The buboes, the swelling in the armpits, were seen as an outward sign of such evil humours. Some doctors might try to lance them to release evil superfluities that had supposedly poisoned them. 
They might even smear foul concoctions on them, even excrement, as a means to purge the body. Despite the urgency of looking for a medical cure and the increasing segregation of plague victims, little worked. Many Italian town authorities instigated quarantine for those showing symptoms and the use of coffins to contain the fetid smells. The audiences of Pistoia limited group gatherings and instituted new sanitation rules for butchers and other food sellers. One decree stated, The bodies of the dead shall not be removed from the place of death until they have been enclosed in a wooden box and the lid of planks nailed down so that no stench can escape. Funeral attendance was also restricted. Any person attending a funeral should not accompany the corpse or its kinsmen further than the door of the church where the burial is to take place. Ultimately, the best advice was to run away. Clever doctors have three golden rules, observed one writer. Get out quickly, go a long way away and don't be in a hurry to come back. Pandemic, the podcast series from Queen's University Belfast. Please rate and review and share this podcast.